Hello and welcome to the History of Modern Greece. I'm your host, Daniel Roberts, and I'm here with my father, George, and our theme music is brought to you by Mark Youngerman. This is a podcast that covers the events from the fall of ancient Greece to the modern day. This is episode 32, The Rise of Islam. And now we are going to have to go back a little bit in time and travel further south than we have gone before. The Arabs and Islam are going to be huge players in our story of late antiquity and early modern Greece, so we should explain exactly who the Arabs are and how Islam became one of the most dominating and influential religions on the planet. The peninsula of Arabia was a desert wasteland and of absolute no use or interest to either the Roman or Persian empires. However, in the reign of Augustus the Great, parts of modern-day Saudi Arabia were conquered and absorbed into the Roman Empire. In the year 117, the Roman Empire covered North Arabia from the Red Sea to the Persian Gulf. In fact, the Romans named this territory the province of Arabia. The vast desert in the mainland was ignored, but the Arabs were not. In fact, many Arabs were Roman citizens, and the emperor of the Roman Empire during the 1,000-year anniversary of the city of Rome was Philip the Arab. Philip the Arab ruled over the Roman Empire from 244 to 249. I think it was Michael Duncan who said that we only know about Philip the Arab because he was the emperor during the Millennium Games. Needless to say, the Arabs were just as part of this world as any other people. But because they came from the deserts of Arabia, most of their homeland was unknown to the empire. Yet they were a vital part of trade as the Silk Road took goods from India and China through the Arabian Peninsula and into the empire. We would definitely know a lot more about ancient Arabia, but the Islamists have destroyed everything pagan inside the peninsula making it very difficult to study pre-Islamic Arabia. The kingdoms that we know for sure existed before Islam were the Kinda tribe of Central Arabia, the Yemen kingdom of Southern Arabia, and the Oman kingdom in the southeast. Yemen was the most developed region in Arabia due to its richness from trading with the Silk Road ocean routes. However, in the late 6th century, they faced constant harassment from the Persian Empire and their wealth and influence dwindled within the region. The Arab tribes also practiced something called the Razia, which meant raid. It was built into Arab culture to raid other tribes, very similar to the tribes of the Great Steppe or the Apache tribes in western North America. Inside the deserts of Arabia were nomadic tribal peoples, and they were tough people of the wild. Life was very hard for the nomad, and with no water, you had to work together to survive. Oftentimes, tribes would be battling it out just to gain control of a small oasis. It is very easy to dismiss them as barbarians of the desert, and for the most part, that was true. They were not civilized people, because in this environment, civilization could be argued as weakness. There were many tribes in Arabia, and one of these tribes lived within the city of Mecca on the western coast of Arabia. The Khorish tribe was the tribe of Muhammad, and the most important in our story. 
Mecca was already an ancient site in the peninsula and was home to an ancient temple said to be created by Abraham. The legend states that Abraham and his son Ishmael were in the valley of Mecca and built a house of worship to the one true God. There was a cornerstone left empty, and Abraham tasked Ishmael to roam the countryside looking for the most beautiful stone. But the angel Gabriel sent a stone from heaven down to Mecca, and Abraham laid it in the corner of his temple. This meteorite is still in the temple today. Following the ancient teachings, after the city of Mecca formed around the holy temple created by Abraham around 3,000 years ago, a shopkeep from the square traveled north into the Levant where he saw great architecture and great civilizations. He was so impressed with this new world that he took one of their statues back to Mecca with him. This merchant then placed the Assyrian idol right in front of the temple and told the people that this idol was the new god of Mecca. And as time progressed, more and more idols were brought from faraway lands and empires and placed in front of the temple and worshipped. It is said that by the time of Muhammad, there were over 360 idols surrounding the sacred house. That is an idol for every day of the year or an idol for every degree in a circle. Abraham also made Mecca a haram, or sacred city, which meant that no one could do any harm within this city because it was a city of prayer and worship. Even though there were over 99 gods within tribal Arabia, plus the hundreds of gods imported from other civilizations, they all respected the law of haram created by Abraham. There were 99 other gods, but everyone believed in the God the God above all gods. This higher God was completely out of reach, and one had to ask lower gods to take their prayers to the higher God in order for him to hear them. This made Mecca the most popular place in the Arabian Peninsula to do business. With all of the nomadic tribes honoring the Abrahamic Haram, no one ever fought in the city, and people could trade and barter in peace. This made Mecca the literal Mecca of trade. The Meccans encouraged all of the other tribes to bring their gods and idols to the holy house and focus the power of the gods on this one city. That way, no matter who came to the city, there was a god representing one of the tribes in Mecca. And if you cross one person in Mecca, you cross every person in Arabia. With all of the trade coming through Mecca and the Khorus tribe taxing all of it, the local tribe became very rich and powerful. Mecca was a trading station for slaves, being so close to Africa. The Abrians imported them from across the Red Sea. Mecca was also home to many Christians and Jews, and were so assimilated with each other that no one could tell the Christians, Jews, or pagans apart without visiting their temples. The many tribes of Arabia got into fights over resources that could last up to centuries long, and although Mecca was caught up into some of these entanglements, it did its best to stay out of tribal conflict, because violence was bad for business. Approximately in 571, this date is challenged by almost every historian, 
A man named Muhammad was born in the Korish tribe in Mecca during the same year as an army attacked Mecca and failed miserably. His father died before he was born and his mother died when he was very young. For a short time he lived with his grandfather, but soon he too died, and Muhammad was given to his uncle who raised him. He was brought up as a merchant in Mecca. Muhammad would take goods from Mecca and trade them in Palestine with the Romans. He developed the reputation as a very truthful person who could be trusted with trade. Muhammad had to have been a great speaker, writer, and accountant to be as successful as he was at his trade. Many will claim he was illiterate using Quran 29.48, but that verse is very ambiguous and does not state that Muhammad was illiterate. In 595 CE, Muhammad was hired by a woman named Khadija to organize a caravan to Jerusalem, which he profited from greatly, and set off a career of trade caravanning to and from Jerusalem. At the age of 25, he married the love of his life, Khadija. They vowed to spend the rest of their lives together and had seven children. Unfortunately, all of his sons died at a very early age. In some Islamic culture, Muhammad's wife is known as Khadija the Great. Muhammad was well-liked in Mecca and was known as the man who was nice to the slaves, kind to the poor, and meditated in the mountains on the ninth lunar month of every year. In the year 610 CE, Muhammad went into a cave outside of Mecca to meditate and is said to have been visited by the angel Gabriel, where he was told to go out and preach about the oneness of God. The one true God is the only God. There is no God but God. One quick note is that at this time, Arabia is sandwiched between the Roman Empire, which is a monotheistic religion, and the Persian Empire, which is also monotheistic with Zoroastrianism. So he was following a trend of his neighbors. Muhammad began preaching in the city of Mecca and was met with a lot of resistance. Mecca was home to every god from every tribe and the civilizations beyond. To denounce them was to shatter the haram instituted by Abraham thousands of years ago. The very stability of the economy was reliant on the haram and safety of all trade and businesses in Mecca. This young man named Muhammad was bad for business. Muhammad preached within the courts and markets to everyone who traveled through the trading hub and the holy site until eventually he started gaining followers. His first followers were very close to him. Muhammad's message to the people was very attractive and spoke of purity of the soul, the poor, the slaves, and the hungry. The city councils hated Muhammad, and would often torture his followers to get them to denounce him and his teachings. In 613, he sent some of his followers from Mecca across the Red Sea and into Abyssinia, where they were to establish good ties with the king in Africa. All of Muhammad's dealings in Mecca caused the other tribes in Mecca to distrust him, and the only thing keeping him safe was his uncle, the chief of his tribe. This uncle loved his nephew Muhammad and protected him from the other families that wanted to stop Muhammad preaching. A quick fun fact is that Sunnis believe that Abu Talib, 
Muhammad's uncle, converted to Islam, while Shiites believe that his uncle never converted and continued to practice paganism. When Abu Talib died in 619 CE and Muhammad's other uncle came to power, he was no longer safe. His new uncle, Abu Lahab, wanted Muhammad and his one-god nonsense out of the city forever. Unfortunately, in this same year, Khadija, Muhammad's wife, died. And this was a year of tremendous loss and sadness for Muhammad. Not only did he lose his father figure and protector, but he also lost the love of his life. And now an army of angry merchants came descending upon him. In 620, Muhammad had his most intense vision with the supernatural. He was whisked away from Arabia on a winged horse and brought to Jerusalem where he met Abraham, Jesus, and all of the other prophets. The mythical creature took him higher and higher until his soul was taken out of his physical body and at last stood at the edge of the celestial universe. In 622, he encountered pilgrims on their way to the Kabul at Mecca when he started to preach to them and told them about Islam and the one true God. Muhammad's preaching influenced these pilgrims from Yathrib, and in 622, Muhammad and his followers moved to that city. Muhammad's trustworthy name earned from his time as a trader paid off, and Muhammad was invited as an arbitrator between 12 other tribes in Yathrib. He was now the leader of a community and responsible for feeding and protecting them. He was no longer just a prophet or a religious teacher. He was a leading statesman. When he moved into Yathrib, his teachings and concepts about Islam started to change drastically. In Mecca, his teachings were more focused on the oneness of God and the rejection of idols and false gods. His message was to get away from all of the foreign and diverse gods and to focus on the one true God, Allah. But all of that started to change when he moved to Yathrib. Now that he was the head of state, his teachings and writings started to focus on military tactics and legislation. This reflects the shift in society Muhammad had taken after he moved from Mecca as a merchant and into Yathrib as a statesman. At this point, the biggest difference between this prophet and all of those who came before him were the previous prophets were governing cities and people. Muhammad has successfully created a new tribe in Arabia, not one bound by blood and marriage, but a super-tribe bound by faith. Faith in his new religion of one super-god. After Muhammad and his friend Abu Bakr moved to Yathrib, the city was renamed Medina, which translates into the city of the prophet. Muhammad worked tirelessly to integrate his new Muslim followers into the native population of the city. Most of the pagans in the city would end up converting to Islam, Muhammad's, Muhammad's new teaching of one God. But there was a large population on the outskirts of town who weren't exactly converting to his new teachings. Up to this point, the Jews and Muhammad had a lot in common. They were both believers in Abraham and both worshipped one God. And to Muhammad, they were the same people. Up until this point, the Muslims prayed facing Jerusalem, the same as the local Jews of Medina. While governing over Medina, he drafted several constitutions that made the city a harem, which literally meant no blood shall be spilt in the city, 
same as Abraham did to Mecca over 3,000 years ago. He also stated that if one tribe of Medina were to be attacked, it would be treated as though every tribe of Medina were attacked, very similar to the NATO agreement of the 20th century. The population of Medina was rapidly converting to his new one-god religion. Muhammad went as far as to commission the construction of the Mega Mosque, where all religious matters concerning Muslims would be conducted and overseen by Muhammad himself. While all of this is going down in Medina, the government in Mecca began seizing all property of the inhabitants who had converted to Islam and had moved to Medina. This pissed off a lot of Muslims in Medina, and they began raiding the Meccan caravans that traveled north from Mecca to Jerusalem. In 623, a caravan was traveling from Jerusalem to Mecca, and they were so afraid of Muslim raiders from Medina that they asked for military reinforcements from Mecca to guard their path south. The army rode north to confront Muhammad and his bandits. Muhammad, on the other hand, was only expecting to raid a caravan and brought just a few hundred bandits. And this led to the infamous Battle of Badr in 623 CE. Muhammad was a great commander and managed to defeat the Meccan army over three times his size. There is no surprise that Muhammad and everyone else living in the region took this as a sign of divine intervention on behalf of Muhammad and his Muslims. Mecca, on the other hand, took this as a great humiliation and would come looking for revenge in the future. This battle also proved to everyone in the area that Muhammad and his men were not weak and they were a force to be reckoned with. In 624 CE, the Battle of Uhud took place between Muhammad and Mecca, the army which wanted revenge against Muhammad and his bandits. Mecca had over 3,000 soldiers while Medina only had 700. And at the beginning, Medina was beating Mecca, and the Meccans were in retreat. You see, the archers of Muhammad were stationed in a mountain pass and protected the flanks of the Medina warriors. But as the Meccans retreated, the archers abandoned their positions and started to loot the dead bodies on the battlefield, leaving the rear guard exposed. A single unit of cavalry from the retreating Meccan forces broke off, and circled around to the rear of the Medina forces. Now this would have been an opening for the Meccans to slaughter the Muslims permanently, but their main army had retreated so far that they were too far away to return and take advantage of the chaos taking place within the Muslim ranks. Had the Meccans not retreated as fast, they might have had time to turn around and attack Muhammad's army and the world would have never seen a single Muslim since. However, the Muslims were able to escape the battlefield and to survive to fight another day, while the Meccans were fatally wounded and would not be able to send military forces north ever again. Muhammad himself was injured in this battle, and his uncle Hamza was killed. An important fact to note about the Jews in Medina is that they were tradesmen who lived on the outer edge of the city. And when Muhammad came to Medina, he took control away from their natural heir of the city. The Jews happened to have sided with the original heir, and in doing so, put 
themselves at odds with Muhammad. They went as far as to denounce his preachings and teachings of the book, and denied him to be a prophet because, according to them, no prophet could not be a Jew. This angered Muhammad, and he hereby ordered Muslims to stop praying facing Jerusalem and to start praying facing Mecca. In 625, Muhammad received word that a tribe of Jews were plotting against him, and he moved against the tribe and had them expelled from Medina. The tribe that Muhammad expelled from Medina moved to Mecca and allied themselves with their army. An army of 10,000 men, mostly warring tribal peoples, Meccan warriors, and Jewish tribal men expelled from Medina, marched north to confront Muhammad. The city had no walls or defenses, so Muhammad ordered his men to dig deep trenches around the city of Medina. The farmers went out and harvested all of their crops early to make sure the Meccans could not use any of their supplies during a siege. When the Meccans arrived, they were stopped by the trench, as there was no safe way to cross without being shot by archers. This siege lasted over a month, while the armies weighed each other out. During this siege, the last remaining Jewish tribes still living in Medina brought resources to Muhammad to honor his agreement with the Hiram established by Muhammad guaranteeing religious freedom. They came to the city and saw over 10,000 troops laying siege to Medina and were scared by what they saw and were persuaded at the last minute to betray Muhammad and attack the defenders of Medina. However, the Meccans laying siege to Medina quickly became disorganized and the armies broke apart and abandoned their attacks. This left the last Jewish tribe in Medina in a very awkward state. They had just betrayed the leader of the state and spiritual leader. Muhammad was pissed off and didn't just banish the Jews remaining in Medina, he massacred them. All 900 of the Jewish men were beheaded and the women and children were enslaved. Considering how humans acted in this time, one could argue this was business as usual. It is important to note that at this time, the great war between the Persians and the Romans was ending. In 628 CE, Muhammad and 1400 of his men traveled to Mecca on pilgrimage to the Cabal. No matter how you spin this, it looks like an invasion. So don't blame the Meccans for fearing the worst. Envoys were sent out to intercept Muhammad, and a treaty was formed between the two cities. This agreement stated that the Muslims and Muhammad would return to Medina and that there would be a 10-year truce. Now this treaty made sure that Mecca recognized Muhammad and Medina as official states. And because Islam was now an official religion, the Muslims still living in Mecca were now allowed to pray freely within the city. In 629 CE, Muhammad reached out to rulers around the world for cooperation. He wrote letters directly to Emperor Heraclius, and to Khosrow II of the Persian Sassanid Empire. One of his emissaries was killed while delivering a letter, and this was a basic declaration of war. So Muhammad sent an army north, commanded by his adopted son. On the border of Palestine, where the Arabian desert meets the fertile lands of the Roman province, Muhammad's soldiers met an army of Byzantine warriors. Muhammad's son was no match for the imperial army. 
Their numbers were around 10,000 or so. And Muhammad's son was killed in the attack, while the army was forced to retreat into the desert and return to Medina in disgrace. It is important to note why there were so many well-trained Arabs ready to fight with Muhammad. Before the great war between the Romans and the Persians, they were both propping up Arab proxy states. So there were many rich Arab kingdoms with lots of experience fighting their neighbors' wars. Many of these Arabs fought in the Great War as well. So when Muhammad came north, these Arabs had no trouble joining his side. And the Razia, which was the practice of raiding, made the bordering provinces with the empires very dangerous for imperial peasants, which led to the need to have these buffer states between Arabia and the empire. However, in Islam, it is forbidden to raid other Muslims, so that forced these unified Arabs to raid only outsiders. In 630, Muhammad gathered his army of 10,000 soldiers, and instead of marching north to revenge the death of his son against the Byzantines, he marched south to Mecca. The treaty they signed between Medina and Mecca in 628 guaranteed 10 years of peace, but Muhammad was okay to break the treaty after two years. Instead of negotiating with the Korash tribe of Mecca, Muhammad divided his men into four units and sent them through all four valleys that led to Mecca through the mountains. Apparently there were only a few violent confrontations between the forces and the city was taken with very little bloodshed, as was Muhammad's plan to honor the Hiram, but this could be disputed. Mohammed conquered and forgave most of the people of the Korash tribe for the persecution against his people and quickly absorbed Mecca into his influence. He thereafter went out into Arabia and conquered the other tribes, bringing them into his Muslim fold. In 631, Mohammed raised an army of all of the United Arab tribes and marched them north to face off against the Byzantine Empire. He had heard rumors that the Byzantines were going to invade from Palestine, but his army waited on the edge of the desert for weeks without encountering the imperial soldiers. Mohammed managed to unite the Arab tribes for the first time ever, and although they never encountered the Roman legionnaires, they did set a huge precedent. Around this time, Mohammed struck a fever and returned to his house. He died with his head in the lap of his youngest wife Aisha at the age of 61 in the year 632. With his death, he completed the unification of the Arab tribes and left a powerful nation ready to explode out of the desert with more force than the world had ever seen before. In 632 CE, Muhammad died, and the newly unified Arab peninsula was in mourning. Muhammad's cousin Ali was the new head of the tribe and had to deal with the funeral arrangements. Riots and disorder started to break out across the Arabian Peninsula, and it quickly became vital to choose a successor to Muhammad. Tensions got so high that at one point, there were talks about splitting the tribes up into two separate states. Before the split could happen, though, a private meeting was held where Muhammad's friend Abu Bakr was elected to the position of caliph. Now, caliph 
literally translates into successor to Muhammad. So by definition, Abu Bakr was the first caliph, not Muhammad. Now the controversy around Abu Bakr's election is that it was held without Ali present. And this is because Ali was busy dealing with his cousin's funeral. Now this decision really pissed off Ali, as he was the head of Muhammad's tribe, and he was not consulted during the appointment of his successor. Luckily, the Muslims were able to get over this issue of succession, and we never hear about it again. Except that they didn't get over it, and this is how we get the first schism within Islam, the Shiite and the Sunni. Now, this schism isn't that theological when you compare it to the Protestants versus Catholics. The Muslim schism happened almost immediately, and it didn't really have a big effect on Muslim relations until hundreds of years later. Whereas the Protestants breaking away from Catholics happened over a thousand years after the foundation of the religion. And when it happened, it led to the bloodiest conflict of European history. Well, that's it for today. Join us next time on the History of Modern Greece. See you next time. Stay safe and stay awesome.